0: Welcome to AMDG, I'm Eric Clayton, and this is the podcast you're looking for. Full disclosure on today's episode, it's a deep dive into the cultural and spiritual impacts of Star Wars, just in time for the release of the latest and final installment, The Rise of Skywalker. And it's a real opportunity to find God in all things. My guest, Father Jim McDermott is perhaps just as big a Star Wars nerd as I am. He's a screenwriter, and the Los Angeles correspondent for America Magazine. And he writes a weekly newsletter about pop culture and spirituality called Pop Culture Spirit Wow. And naturally, he's done a lot of writing, reading, and thinking about Star Wars. Now, now, before you hit that skip button, I'm I'm talking to you, literally every one of my friends ever, I can promise you that our conversation on Star Wars isn't really just about Star Wars. We're talking here about the nature of forgiveness and redemption, the impacts of structural sin and violence, and the role stories play in our understanding and development of our own personal spirituality. I've got a good feeling about this, and I hope you do too. Please remember to subscribe to AMDG wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think this is the Baby Yoda of podcasts, then don't forget to leave us a nice review on iTunes. All right, Father Jim McDermott, welcome to AMDG. We're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: And I am particularly excited because today, uh, as we are getting closer and closer to the final installment of the Skywalker saga, Star Wars, of course, uh, we're going to talk about Star Wars and about um, what, what we might learn from Star Wars as we um, think about Ignatian spirituality and, and Jesuit life and, and ministry and uh, just life in general. So I'm excited to have you to uh to journey with me through that conversation.
1: Yeah, me so, too. I love talking about Star Wars.
0: Yeah, and I know you've you've done some writing and some thinking on Star Wars. Can you can you give us your your Star Wars uh, resume real fast and and where it's <laughs> appeared? <laughs>
1: uh, well, I write. Uh, one of the things I do is I write for America, and they've been very kind of let me as the new movies have come out to write a bunch of articles about Star Wars. I've been on a panel or two about Star Wars as well, and. I write a newsletter, a weekly newsletter called Pop Culture Spirit Wow, where I write a ton about Star Wars and other things like it.
0: Awesome! So you're always thinking, kind of at that intersection of of, of culture and uh, you know pop culture, in particular and uh, spirituality, right? And and yeah. why these things matter. And I hope you can answer for me. I you know I I am my my Star Wars credentials are. I'm just a huge fan. And I'm always trying to convince my friends and and family, you know, this, this matters, this is exciting stuff and, and, and not always to great success. So maybe you can answer that question. (laughs) You know, why, why does this matter? Why is this, uh, you know, fantasy uh, Western science fiction thing that's 40 years old? um, Why is it stuck around? And and what, what does it have to say to our culture? What has it said to our culture? That's of importance.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And it's funny. uh, Like I, I certainly have friends and family. Like I have a nephew who's – actually probably all my nephews and nieces have never seen – I don't know if they've seen any of the Star Wars movies. And there's a certain amount – I'm obviously a little older. I grew up with Star Wars. Uh, there are people in my generation that have not and there's it's sort of a point of pride almost. Like, no, no, I've never, I've never needed that. Um, and I actually appreciate that point of view in the sense that So for me, like you said, pop culture and spirituality—I think a lot about that intersection—and I think that there are different stories that sort of speak to something deep inside people, to their kind of their yearnings or questions or struggles—and and and no one story is going to be able to do that for everybody, Uh, other than maybe hopefully scripture. But I think even there. (laughs) Like, that's probably me more speaking as a Catholic and a Christian. I think a Muslim or a Jew might say, well, actually, bits and pieces, maybe, but it's pretty different, right? So uh, I think what's most essential is people like holding on to the stories that do speak to them wherever they find them. Uh, for me, why Star Wars is important is I don't know. I, I think it's a story that's about, it's funny, I think that story has grown more timely. As it's gone on, like I would say today, the questions that it poses or about hope um, and having hope in a context that's trying to grind down hope. And that's that's where the Star Wars saga started. But I don't think in the 70s most people would have said that was how they were thinking about reality. But today, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, yeah, I know. I know a lot about that. And. These are films that have, for what, forty years, have been meditating on that and trying to get at where where do we find God? Where do we find renewal or connection or community in the in the midst of uh, of kind of sort of soul crushing uh, institutions? So I think th- I think that makes it very uh, meaningful today or useful today.
0: Yeah, and, and what's really exciting, and I mean again, to a fan like me, right, is is this? Uh, but interesting too for culture is is we're able to 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 answer those questions or address those questions or come at those questions again forty years later. Um, kind of the same storyline, but with a whole lot of history and culture having passed by. Mm. And so I wonder, you know, what is what do you see? Um, in, in the culture, you know, I, I think standing, you know, today in, in 2019, we look back on the original Star Wars trilogy and, and um, you know, uh, hope is, is in the name. It wasn't the name at first. Right. But but, um, you know, hope is there and we're looking back at it and kind of applying it to our time. And and, and we're also looking at new movies coming out, addressing those those themes of hope and redemption um, and, you uh, you know, having, you know, coming right out of the culture of today. So we're, we're both kind of standing in our culture, looking back and applying to today and, and also creating from today. What do you think are the biggest things culturally, um, you know, historically uh, with you know the people that have come and gone um, over the last several years, uh, you, know, you know, that's, that, that has shaped Star Wars or shaped how we even approach Star Wars and, and, and Star Wars, you know, culture, you know, these, these pop culture movies writ large, you know, we approach these things. What would you say are the key moments and, 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 you know, historical uh, tidbits.
1: I, I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but for me, I think it's funny if I look at uh, the most recent two films, uh, also Rogue One and, and probably Solo as well. Yeah, I would say all of them. What I think is really interesting is that how much they've distilled the kind of in, the initial impulses of the first trilogy of the, of the initial trilogy. Like they've, I actually think that much more than the prequels that the, uh, the most, the the sequels, I guess it's always hard to figure out how to refer to these three different trilogies. (laughs) but that the sequels, they've kind of, they kind of look back on the originals and say, well, what were these really all about? Things like, uh, hope where there should be no hope, uh, finding community and family in the context of, of friendship, and that being somehow salvific mercy as uh, the the mercy shown toward one person as having the potential to save the whole universe. I feels to me like they've taken some of those ideas and, and distilled them in conversation with the world that we live in today. Like Rogue One is in a sense, the, the essence of this, but I actually think the new trilogy is as well that this sense of like uh we live in a we live in a world that is deeply broken uh in in a much more obvious way i think than in the 1970s and and, and yet the themes of of those of the initial films of the 70s films in the 80s that they sort of they make more sense today because because the context is so problematic that we live in that uh the notion of hope is much more dear And bold, just enormously bold. I don't think when you, Star Wars is a great movie and A New Hope, but I don't think you realize how sort of brave and courageous it is until you're living in a world that kind of starts to feel like that, where it does feel like it's just going to come down to like uh, uh, kids from, uh, European kids like Greta Thunberg or... Uh, the, the, the teenagers from the Parkland shooting, mm. uh, like very small groups of people just being willing to put themselves out there uh, and be brave despite the sort of a number and power of forces arrayed against them, if that makes yeah. any sense.
0: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm thinking – you mentioned Rogue One. I'm thinking of kind of the uh, the – you know, Rogue One versus Star Wars A New Hope, right? And I think one of the things that people talked about in that, the original Star Wars, right, they, you know, it, it didn't feel, no one really felt like they're in danger. You know, it was kind of a a, a, a nice journey to, uh, you know, the the award ceremony with the Death Stars blown up. And then we see in Rogue One, um, everyone's in danger and no one makes it, you know, so, spoiler alert. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'm thinking again, kind of this, this idea of awakening a religious imagination. And, and I'm thinking how sometimes you know, we, we, we look at like the, you know, the, the, the passion um, and resurrection of Jesus, you know, we know how the story ends. We, we kind of forget of, of the intensity and, 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 and the uncertainty of that journey, um, you know, through the cross and, and ultimately to resurrection. And we kind of give it that, Oh, well, we know how it plays out. But then we think of, of stories of martyrs and, 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 you know, you know modern day martyrs and, and, and folks that, you know, it, it, it plays out poorly, you know, by the world's standards. Right. And, 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 um, it's only that idea of hope that ultimately, you know, tells the, the final word and gives the final story to, to people's great sacrifices and people's, you know, great legacies. And 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 so I, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. And I'm wondering if you have any reflections on that, but also this deeper question of of religious imagination and how these kinds of stories and art forms can can awaken or deepen a person's religious imagination. Then what do you do with it?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'd say there's a there's a difference. Uh, uh, one difference between a lot of martyr stories, as I understand them, which c- could be wrong, and sort of the way that martyrdom plays out in in the Star Wars saga, especially in a movie like Rogue One, is that uh, in some ways martyr stories are often painted as uh, while they're while we'll say like that the church is fed by the blood of the martyrs, it often seems uh, it, it it doesn't really. S- I don't find that that those stories are often quite so interested in the community as they are in the individual. Like, the whole point of what goes on in a film like Rogue One, it's not... I mean, sure, there's the journey of the characters and their redemption, but really that story is about actually trying to save everyone. And I, I, I feel like there are periods, there are certainly parts of martyrdom in the Catholic tradition that's not about that. That's about It's like about being true to what you believe and trusting that you'll be saved in some eternal way as a result, but it's less, I find it can become more individualistic. And and as a result, from the perspective of today, more problematic. Um, Mm. Not to say that, I think that's more like the early church than I would say of the church of the last, of the 20th century, for sure. Um, The church of uh, the uh, martyrs of El Salvador, for instance, completely different situation. Much more like Rogue One in a sense, where they're just where they're living out of a hope, uh, being true to what they know, what they believe, because they think it is salvific for everyone, and then being willing to accept as Jesus did, sort of the consequences of being true to that. So that's just, I, th- I think martyrdom is a really complicated, uh, it's a complicated notion in the Catholic Church and not not an unambiguous one. I, I find it. Um, but in that other question about. Religious edg- imagination. Let me just, I just want to push back a little bit. Like there are two kinds of imaginations, I think, that we can talk about. Uh, there's the spiritual imagination and the religious. And the spiritual is, I think, in some ways more central to the Star Wars saga, at, at least insofar as as I think it, the way it speaks to people. I think that what Star Wars often does is it speaks it speaks to a yearning that we all have inside us, for, for both some kind of sense of God or a, a bigger force in our lives of a, of, a, of something beyond the material, and and also us a, a yearning for connection, you know a, a yearning for a sense of community that is, that is meaningful, and those, the reason I make sort of the the distinction that that is spiritual rather than religious is because. Religion is about sort of a a specific form of of a sp- a spiritual experience. It's sort of what comes next, you know. So the mm-hmm. Jedi would be sort of I think a more uh, they fit more of a sense of a religion, or at least they're a piece of they're a piece of a religion. They're the, sort of the the presbyterate, I guess, of a religion. And I think Star Wars is interesting from a religious imagination standpoint as well. But it's 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 interesting in a different way, at least I think. I because I as these movies have come out, they seem to be they seem to have posed gradually a, a critique of religion, a critique of what institutionalized religion can do, often does, the limitations that it bumps up against. And I that's that's interesting. That's a that's very interesting for our religious imagination insofar as as I think it's, I think it speaks to things that we experience in the Catholic Church and that other Christians probably experience in their uh, communities as well, and other religions. Like some of the problems that that come with any institution, that then the institution has to find ways to overcome. But if I were going to say which is primary in the Star Wars saga, wh- which is what, which is the thing that sort of brings people to it, I'd say it's probably more. It's more that spiritual yearning, that yearning for Yeah, for connection. Connection is something bigger than ourselves.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that that distinction. And and I think some of the uh, the things that you were saying Particularly, uh, kind of the first part there about, about martyrdom and about um, different kinds of, of, of martyrdom, you know, really just makes me think of, of, of the ideas of justice, right? And the idea, you know, the, the need to live in right relationship with with one another, and how we see in, in Rogue One, um, and even that kind of casual reference to to the, the sacrifice of those folks, right? Um, that was in, I think, a New Hope, right? Um, this that is this idea of, of community of communities of people, kind of um, carrying on and, and and building from the legacy of people that have come before in this, this kind of arc towards justice and this, this, you know, desire to re rearrange the structures at large, uh, you know, for more peace and and, and more justice and, and more right relationships. And, um, and I, 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 I I like your, your reflections here on, on the Jedi as, as uh, did, did they do it right with with institutional religion? And and I always I really I really enjoyed and we can talk about this later, maybe, but I really enjoyed uh, The Last Jedi and, and Luke's kind of monologue, reflective monologue on uh, the failures of the Jedi. And I um, but I also was fascinated by them in the original or, or the prequel trilogy and then the Clone Wars TV show, because I am that big of, big of a nerd. Um Same. Same. This uh, perfect okay good we're a good company but but this idea of the Jedi as keepers of the peace that are then sent as generals into war um, and uh, and that tension that for a kids TV show they did a really nice job of of, of exploring um, and so you know what what are the lessons there uh, for for those of us that are in institutional religion uh, for for the Jesuits uh, as a, as a society for for anybody that are, you know, again, they're deepening that religious imagination. You know, I, I one of the things I, I love about fantasy in general is that we can kind of look at something, um, through a different lens, right. That, that kind of has good parallels in, in the real world, but nothing quite the same. And I, and I think the Jedi present that with this, this, this problem of how do you be, how are you a keeper of peace while leading a war, um, and, and really fighting hard to, to overthrow one side.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I think I like uh, I think it's it's deeply, it's funny, I, I think I like how in the new series uh, I think I like the way the Jedi function in the context of war better, and that they're involved they're involved but they're only part, they're, they're appreciated as only part of the effort uh, that's somewhat true in the original trilogy uh, Certainly, be- certainly it's true because really Luke's the only one in a sort of a Jedi role, and it's so it's up to people like Han and Leia and Chewbacca to kind of make a lot of the most important things happen, Lando. Um, but, but there's a way in which maybe this is more true of the prequels, where the Jedi are sort of the center of of the war, as the as just the kind of the most talented and powerful soldiers. And that I think becomes, I think that becomes problematic. And maybe maybe the analogy is when. Uh, Jesuits or members of other religious orders or diocesan priests and sisters, when we become too close to the, uh, to the centers of power, to Kings, to presidents, prime ministers, like there's a, I think our function is we function better when we're sources of hope and inspiration and, and challenge. And, and when we become too connected or caught up in the, in the institutional power structures it's very hard for us to to keep our feet uh, and, and even to know that we've lost our feet. I mean, that's an interesting part about the prequels that they have from the first film, it's clear they've lost their way. And yet they're com- completely un- unaware of that. And the argument that's made in the films is, well, that's just because Palpatine is Sidious and he's blocking their powers. But, to me that's always struck as like that doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not necessary like they themselves have made choices that are that are inhibiting their ability to like to stay connected to the to the force to the to the kind of the the god the god of their lives the, the 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 inspiration that leads them how
0: how would you define or where would you look for that um, that moment of of kind of going away, uh, going in the wrong direction. Because I, I agree, right, that we see that the the Jedi uh, have kind of lost track of their mission, lost you know lost their way in a lot of ways. And I think that then their role in, in the Clone Wars is just kind of a manifestation of that. Um, but but kind of for our own purposes in, in in the real world, right? How how can we be attentive to that? Um, uh, you know problem that issue where we we might lose our way and and become so tied up in power structures uh as as you said um and and just become blinded to the you know the dark side uh but literally you know what 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 are some some spiritual tools that we might
1: employ to avoid that that's a good question i mean and i you know i'm just as uh, fallible and flawed as everybody else so uh i wouldn't presume to have uh I bet everybody has good answers to that question. Like for me, certainly a part of a part of an answer would would turn on Jesus. That, like, to take, uh, if we're in connection with the story of Jesus in Scripture and also hopefully a prayer life, those two things. Well, actually, I'd say three things: sort of the stories of Jesus in Scripture, or just the stories of Scripture in general, a prayer life, and somebody like a spiritual director or some people. A faith community that we can be in conversation with; those three things. If if we're going astray, there there should be flares that that rise up from one of those things. So, for instance, you know, uh, I think one of the most challenging aspects of of just being alive, and let alone being a Christian, is that you're not really allowed to write anybody off, even people who are terrible to you. You don't get to write them off. It's just because. Because Jesus didn't. Like that's a fundamental aspect yeah, right. of our faith, right? Not to say that it's easy or that we ever do it perfectly by any means, but it is like right there in scripture, and not just in his story, but certainly in his story over and over and over again, right? So uh if we're I think if we're like if we're just paying attention to that, that it begins to challenge us when we say, Well, I can I can deal with everyone except these people or accept you know this person in my life you know that's so so yeah for me it's about like trying to keep these 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 uh, sources of i don't know of both inspiration and challenge alive for, i'll say for me like uh, and I, I know this not everyone has the, the ability of something like this or or the interest but having a spiritual director like having a or, or a therapist like someone that I can go to and say, here's the stuff that's going on, and not only be heard, but be challenged at times, hugely useful. Insofar as like, we all have things, uh, like I I had a great moral theology teacher uh, named Jim Keenan, who's now at Boston College. And he used to say, the things that you're confessing all the time are probably not the things you really need to worry about. It's the things that you don't know that you're doing that are often the most damaging to others which is a really, it's really sort of disturbing and also really Mm -hmm. insightful. And the only way you can see those things then is through like somehow being in connection with other things, with scripture, with prayer, with people who are, who are able to say to you, what about this? Why do you, why do you write that person off? But, and I I just want to say like, for me, if there, that is the most important thing, I think, that I think both we fail at. As Christians, and that is, and, and as church, and that uh, we're, we're challenged to not to not do. I just feel like if you look at the history of the church, and you and you were going to say, sorry about that. Um, if you were to look at the history of the church and say, what's the what's in summary, what's the biggest mistake the church has made historically? Again and again, it would be they take some group of people and they and they uh, demonize them, and then they are then they're comfortable or we are comfortable with writing them off or even worse, condemning them. Mm. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's that you need that strong
0: community and a community that you trust, a a community of, again, individual, you know, individual people could be your spiritual director, your family, your friends, but again, it points to that need for relationships that of people that are going to challenge you to uh, assess and reassess and constantly look at your own biases and prejudices and, um, just get a deeper look, and I really like that idea that that the things that the things that we are confessing, while while perhaps problematic, are, are perhaps hiding uh, again, clouding clouding our judgment, clouding our, our ability to understand those deeper problems. Um, which I I think brings me to uh, a famous scene that that has been you know in, in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back uh, that. Uh, has been reimagined in a number of other mediums across the Star Wars franchise now, but that, that cave on Dagobah, right? Where, where yeah. Luke uh, goes in uh, or he's, he's about to go in and, and at Yoda's instruction and he says, you know, what's in there. And and Yoda says only what you take with you. What, what about that can we learn? I, I think this, this image of the cave, of course, is, is also central to St. Ignatius, own journey. So wh- what can we take for our own kind of cave moments uh, where we have to really come face-to-face face with, with something dark about ourselves?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I love – yeah, that is clearly like such a great – that's such a great moment and such a such a sort of archetypal moment in the saga and then in our lives. For me, like, what can we take from that? One is – or sort of an A, like a couple part pieces. A is that you have a shadow side. We each have a shadow side. We have parts of ourselves that we don't see – Parts of ourselves that we're ashamed of, um, or think that are bad or dangerous. Um, Probably a B would be uh, that we're so afraid of that piece of ourselves that we've kind of blocked out the fact that it's even there. Um, So that for some reason we really don't want to look at that. But then also I think sort of the C, the kind of the the uh, the gift of it is that that part of ourselves cannot hurt us that in fact it's, it's there to help us, you know, that, that, uh, the monster in the basement or under the bed, we put there for some reason at some point it was, it was originally there to help us. And that if we can welcome it back out into the light, that it will help us like, and, and I'm taking some liberties with the cave, uh, with the actual cave story, on Dagobah, because in that situation, really it's, it doesn't seem like it's a gift right in the moment. It seems like it's Luke seeing, uh, Luke seeing that he's really the same as his father. And that seems like a very bad thing, right? Mm. That does not in the moment. The insight seems to be like, you're going to, you could turn out just like him, but actually, Actually, I want to say that's the moment. So that's, and that's in a sense how Yoda and Obi-Wan take that moment is that it's, that this is the big danger with Luke is that he could turn out like his father. But where Luke goes with it is to a completely different place in the sense that it gives him empathy toward his father. He identifies with his father. And that's, that's the gift. That's the real opportunity of that, of the cave experience is that it, it opens you. It doesn't close you up. It doesn't invite you to kill that part of yourself, which is in a sense what Ben and Yoda mistakenly want. It's that it it gives you empathy toward yourself and others, which allows you to imagine possibilities that no one else can see. I, I think that's, for me, that is that, that, cho- that moment and that choice that Luke makes over the course of the saga to show mercy instead of, uh, the more pragmatic solution, the more seemingly the the, the the right solution to kill his father. Like the fact that he chooses otherwise, like that is the most important, that is the most important moment in the whole saga, which I hope again is is repeated in a different way in the new, in the new series. And I, I, I just find it's like, it's endlessly, um it's endlessly creative. It's, it's the kind of moment you could, you can chew on forever because it's really about, how mercy opens things up, how it creates hope and possibilities that you couldn't possibly imagine uh, until you do it, until you actually uh, try to live that out.
0: Yeah. And again, it is hope, redemption. They, they come up again and again in our conversation and in the um, the, the Star Wars saga writ large, and, and they're foundational to our faith. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, I think, in, uh you know, in the prequel series, right, we see Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's was, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, everything is possible. And then he's kind of, you know, Alec Guinness portrays him, he's kind of old and tired, and, and he has lost faith in that redemptive ability. And then we see Luke, who's, who's bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed in, in the original trilogy, and now we see him again in the, in the sequel trilogy. He seems, he's kind of fulfilling that role of, of you know, yeah. losing the faith. And, um, it, you know, so there's always there's always someone with hope, right? And someone with that, that desire to redeem and show mercy. It's not always the same person. And, and it it's it seems to be it's like not the popular thing, right? It's not it, it's like one person in the in the series, maybe two people who are like, oh, yeah, we can redeem this guy. But it's not like everybody is is like the, the quest is to redeem it. The quest is to is to kind of get rid of that, that problematic character. Um, so what what do you make sense? How do you make sense of that? um uh, you know particularly thinking about luke in the in the in the sequel trilogy this this loss of faith and and then you know ray kind of coming in and sparking it again to a degree um but I, you know it's just i i'm just struck by this you know a lot of hope and then not a lot of hope and a lot of hope and then not a lot of hope what what are yeah. your
1: reflections yeah yeah i'd say uh that's interesting um it's funny i I don't actually think the series is about redemption as much as it is about mercy. Until you get to the last Jedi, and what I mean by that is, I feel like the series is often about people being put in the in the position of will they forgive someone else? Will will Luke uh, will Luke forgive his father? Uh, will um, Anakin forgive the Sand People or the Jedi? Um, and now, sort of. Will can we forgive uh, Ben? Right? Can can his father forgive him? Can his mother forgive him? Can? But when we get to when we get to the Last Jedi, it it does change. It takes on a redemptive component in a sense. Although I still want to put it more in the key of mercy, in that Luke is Luke, who's now the the old middle age, more older than middle aged guy, is being asked, "Can you forgive yourself?" And in a sense, Han was asked that in the force awakens. And this is like, it's funny. These movies are always for a new generation, right? But being the, being old and having lived through all through them from the beginning, I just, I so appreciate the, the kind of the older person, uh, arc of this new trilogy. Like when you get to be in your fifties and sixties, maybe even earlier than that, you, there's just a lot in your life that you've screwed up, and you don't – and and so you live with kind of either trying to bury that or trying to figure out how to live with that. And in a sense, that's what I feel like – that's what I feel like both – I don't think that's really an issue so much for Leia, although maybe it would have been if, 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 if Carrie Fisher had been alive for the last movie. But certainly, those are the arcs of Han and Luke in the first two films, and they're just – it's about learning to forgive yourself. And again, again, there's if you can do it, if you can sort of face the mess you've made, the things that can come from that are unexpected. The power, the opportunities, the gifts, the blessings for others that can come from that are, are unexpected. I actually think it's funny you make that comparison between Luke and Ben, Ben Kenobi. I love that comparison. I always... I feel like Last Jedi is, in a sense, a chance to see uh, the Ben Kenobi between when Luke and Leia are born and, and, and Darth Vader is born and when we meet Ben Kenobi in Star Wars A New Hope. Like, mm-hmm. what happened in those 18 years? Like, p- certainly part of his journey should, should have been having to face his own mistakes with Anakin and his own failures and, and he's clearly still having to learn stuff in the course of the original saga because he, because his conclusion is we're just going to have to kill this guy. It's like, well, that doesn't really seem to fit. doesn't seem to fit with what your whole thing is about, Ben, but uh, so there's still more journey for him, but we never really get to see the mess of him. We only get him as sort of the exciting, fun, idealistic guy at the beginning and then the sort of wizened old man at the end and i one again one of the things i love about last jedi is just it's just the messy middle age is is a mess is a mess it's just it, middle age is not a time for hope exactly it's a time for forgiveness and the and there is hope that emerges from that but it only emerges from that cuz too much there's too much water under the bridge you have to kind of you just have to face a lot of stuff in order to come back to, to a place. It's like Paul Ricoeur's second naivete. Like how do you get back to that place of hope? Well, you have to go through the mess that you've made first in order to get there.
0: Yeah. I, I that a lot. And I, I it is, I, I had never thought of it like that, 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 that this was kind of uh, uh, Obi-Wan's time in, in, on Tatooine in some ways that, that, that kind of, gaming it out. What, you know, what, how do you make sense of your, your own sins? Although I, I imagine, I think you probably just teased out the the plot line for the new Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show, right? (laughs) But but I want to stay on this idea of forgiveness for, for just a moment more because what strikes me, right. And and I think this is very relevant in, again, to our, to our time, to real life. Um, Luke forgives Vader, right? In that, you know, famous scene. And and that's great. That's an interpersonal forgiveness, but the sins of Vader, as far as the, you know, the rebel alliance and the new Republic aren't forgiven. The legacy of Vader is, is, is still looms large and, and a lot of evil, uh, was done. Um, and, and I, you know, is it even Luke's place to, can, can Luke even forgive all of that other stuff the evil and darkness that was brought about um, by Vader. And how, so the, how do you make sense of that kind of forgiveness? That is a beautiful moment of kind of interpersonal one-on-one forgiveness. I forgive you. I, I work on forgiving myself. But then there's th- that ripple effect of of what's gone on, uh, the dark side uh, across the galaxy. And others may be less inclined to forgive or, or never have that moment to face that one-on-one forgiveness. Um, how, how do you make sense of that uh, in, in this, you know, Kind of hope-filled universe.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You're actually, uh, I don't think. Like, I think Luke, you, or I, anybody, we could say that we forgive all of it, but that doesn't mean that we fix it. And it's funny, actually. That question really helps me understand something that I don't understand about the new, the new trilogy, especially the movie to come, "The Rise of Skywalker," which is what is the Emperor doing there? Like, like we've done that. It feels. I have anxiety that we're like, this is sort of like another old trope that we just, we're kind of wheeling out because we don't know what else to do. But in a sense, in a sense, actually your question makes me think that the point is there's like, there are two distinct things that are going on in the, in these movies. Like, yes, a person can be forgiven uh, and, and come to some sort of new life that can be salvific. Like forgiving Vader is what, Creates the moment that Vader, seemingly anyway, destroys the Emperor and stops the Empire, right? So right. that's, it's hugely important going forward, but you're right. Like, that going forward doesn't erase all the damage that's been done. And, as, and in a sense, the First Order is is all of that. It's like, here's all the stuff that hasn't been fixed, and it still needs to be forgiven or redeemed or what. Actually, this is, yeah, this is very much probably where you get into the, the context of redemption. Like, it needs to be purified and burned away. Like, so, I, I guess, I mean, I don't, I have a hard time figuring kind of what's the plot line in some ways of the new film, but it would seem that part of it should be somehow about this. It should be somehow about how do we make peace with the with all the damage that Vader and the Emperor did and the way that it's... Cause yeah, that it's so true that it's often in the Christian life, we're kind of told you have to forgive and it's, and that, that, that command is premature. We're sort of told like right away, you need to forgive that person. You need to, or we think that, like that that's what it means to be a Christian. But if you don't go through the part, the process of like accepting the, the pain that you've been through as a real thing, as a valid thing, then you you don't really, you don't really, uh, it doesn't go away. It's still there under the surface. So yeah. in a sense, I mean, I feel like uh, the First Order, even Vader's helmet, like, what's the deal with that? Where did that come from? <laughs> what's the voice that Anakin, or that uh, Ben hears coming from it? Like, that's clearly not Anakin's voice, right? Because he's, he's passed on to a better place. But all of that, the second film didn't really deal with any of that. Just, but I assume the third film will have to. Like, what? How does the First Order even manage to come into being? Like, why would the... It is, it, it has to be, it's all this leftover violence and, and horror that as you, as you, as you rightly point out, I think has not been, has not been solved yet. It has not been faced yet.
0: Yeah. I, I I'm always struck just, I mean, in, you know, in, in, again, in real life, right. That, that, you know, we, you know, we have a God that forgives, right. A God that is love and, and, you know, we're called to, to reflect that. And, and of course, you know, your sins are, are forgiven, but there is that again, real world, Impact of, of violence and 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 oppression and injustices that that does need to be righted and, and that is you know where justice comes into play right and and um and and yeah I, I think this image of 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 that kind of one on one Luke and Vader there's this moment of forgiveness and and that relationship is is made right uh, or, or or made better at least. But that ripple effect of, of all of the evil and darkness is still out there, and, and it's it is it's the work of uh, you know the, the years and stories to come that, that try to, to figure that out. Um, but you I know, yeah, You know,
1: uh, sorry, to interrupt. Uh, there's uh, there's a new there's a book out that's sort of a prequel to the new film. I think it's called The Rise of the Resistance or something like that. Yes, I've, I've read it. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm about a third of the way through it and one of the things that's been intriguing so far, it's just been alluded to but it seems like it's going to be part of the rest of the book is that so basically, you know, it's Leia and a, you know like 15 people are all the stuff of the resistance <laughs> and they're trying to find new allies and pl- the places that they're looking are like old imperials. Mm-hmm. right or i think there's even some criminals that maybe may get involved but it was the old imperials that really struck me and that that's also true in uh the new animated show what is it called is it called the resist uh star oh, yeah. wars resistance yeah resistance like one of the one of the most interesting characters the guy who runs the station is an old uh, imperial officer right yeah. so like i i immediately have when i was reading it in this book just feeling like wow i hope this is in the movie because because that, that represents it's kind of like an overcoming of the past, right? Of like – of trying to like get beyond these divisions that have, you know, ripped – shredded the universe basically or the galaxy, that galaxy anyway.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean by the Star Wars timeline, right? That's 30 years in the making of redemption. You know, it's, it's the Empire Falls and, and then this – you know, you have this moment to begin to right your wrong or to work towards righting the wrongs of your kind of compatriots – um, 30 years later, which, which is, I think interesting insofar as, you know, we want things righted now, right. We want injustices and, and, and not without good reason, but, um, that idea of this kind of slow arc of, of, of personal redemption, you know, within a community that's working towards justice is, is interesting and compelling. Let me, um, let me throw one last question at you. Um, uh, cause I know that we had a uh, slightly different take on this, but the, uh, that you know, Luke, George Lucas is, is famous for uh, constantly revising his his work um, and never quite being content with with it. You know, and, and I think we we saw that again with the release of of A New Hope on, on Disney Plus that he had changed the scene once more uh, of, of of Han and, and Greedo and who shot first. But um, but in general, I I wonder at this idea of of always tinkering um, with with something an art form ourselves uh, to try and bring us closer to perfection. Um, And, and if that is healthy in our everyday lives uh, or if it's dangerous in our everyday lives, or if it's a little bit of both, uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Well, I think anybody that's, I think probably this is true for everyone, but uh, so I certainly know as a writer, the the, sort of the, the tendency to want to keep improving on something, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a compulsion that you'll never satisfy like you never finish a, a pile, a screenplay or a book or a painting. You, you just give up you, because, because you, you just feel like if I go further, I'm probably going to make it worse. Like there's, <laughs> I think perfectionism is part of what makes great art and also what ruins great <laughs> art. Uh, and I, for me anyway, the Lucas's tendency is, is clearly way beyond I appreciate it and if he were just making something for himself I would understand I would you know would have no problem with it but he keeps messing with my art you know with something that I find meaningful and that's I don't think he improves it I think he just keeps changing things Uh, it's interesting what does that say I mean it speaks to that nothing's ever done and and I inside of us in the things that we create I, I get that um, I just wish that he would keep, he would allow us to have the version that we want as well. That's the, that's the part that I, from the star Wars angle that I find just really bizarre and frustrating. Like, fine. If you want to make these cart you want to keep adding cartoonish elements or changing the ethics of Han Solo and in, in a new hope, like fine, but let me still have the version that you gave me that I fell in love with. Like, that's just to me. That's just bizarre. Like Stephen King rewrote The Stand. I think most people would say the new version's better, but you can still buy the original version. You know, um, so like, so for me, I, I don't know. I think the pursuit of the perfect is like I was just reading an interview this morning with Phoebe Waller Bridge, and she people different people were asking her questions about her process. The the, the woman who wrote and acted in the in Fleabag. Created *Killing Eve* is rewriting the James Bond script. Um, fantastic genius, uh, and she was saying she was saying something in it about you know it's that drive for perfection or something like that that really it allows her to create such great work you know that it's and so I, and I think a lot of artists would say that that perf, that, that sort of that drive as destructive as it can be personally at times is also very, uh, creative. Uh, it's fruitful. It can be very fruitful in the, in our own life. I don't know. I think I'm supposed to say like we should be sort of questing for perfection, but I, I, I feel like the people I know who, who chase that often get lost. Um, and, or think they have arrived
0: Oh yeah, that's probably even worse, right? Than getting lost is probably thinking you've arrived at perfection. That's probably yeah. even more damaging to relationships. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't have the answer either, but it's. Um, it's a. It's an ongoing balance, and yeah, I, I'm just struck by, you know, looking looking at a play out in in George Lucas's work and the, um, you know, the problems that has arisen that have that have arisen among uh, among the fans. What would you say are your top five movies that you would turn to? Uh, that, that are surprisingly spiritual or you've taken something surprisingly spiritual from.
1: Yeah. I, you, you had mentioned this question ahead of time and I, I it's funny, like I'm bad at this stuff. Uh, uh, I think you would maybe, uh, yeah, I, I'm not good at top at tops. Uh, like okay. I, I find um, I'd say this is probably a cop out because it's a much more general answer. But uh, I just feel like – I think it's maybe the same thing I said at the beginning. The thing I love about pop culture – I'll put it this way. Um, I go to Comic-Con every year, which is this event in San Diego. About 130,000 people, I think, were there last year. They come from all over the world. And, like, every sort of pop culture property that you can imagine is represented there. Like, either in the way people dress or – There's, like, the latest rollout of the newest big thing from Marvel or Disney or DC or whoever, Warner Brothers. Um, But what I love about it, the thing that I've realized this makes it so meaningful to me is that you walk around that room and you see all these people from all walks of life, and they have the same look on their face that you do, which is, like, part just, like, wonder, like, how did I get here? And part gratitude, because... It's like being at Comic-Con or an event like that, it, it helps you realize the spiritual dimension of the stories you love. Like it helps you get in touch, I think, with how certain stories that you might have just thought were sort of amusing or are, are, are enjoyable as a kid that actually they taught you something or they continue to, to sort of feed and nourish and encourage you even now, right? And that's, for me, that's like, so when people say like what are the what are the top 5 like spiritual movies and they don't have to be like the you know the bells of st mary or something yeah. like that I always think like every movie and TV show and comic book and book they all have the capacity to be to be that it's just it's just for different people and in some ways I feel like as church or as a Jesuit my job is to kind of learn from other people and help them help, help see like, Oh yeah, here, if God is in all things, then he's also in Spider-Man. And like, if I can learn from them how that's true, then I can, then I have a better sense of God. And probably I can also do my own job better of helping people sort of connect with, with God. Cause I might, they might not know that it's God they're seeing in Spider-Man or that, that it's, They might not be able to articulate the the spiritual aspect of that. So for me, every movie—it's not necessarily in my top five, but it's—I think every movie could be in somebody's top five spiritual movies. I really any movie at all. I like it. It's a cop out. I know it's It's good. It's a good
0: guy. You you uh, defaulted to the Jesuit God in all things. I think that's a win. (laughs) 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 Well, Father McDermott, it has been a lot of fun. Um, Thank you for your time and your reflections. And uh, we'll have to connect uh, once we see The Rise of Skywalker and see what we thought.
1: Yeah, thanks. This has been a blast. I really appreciate it.
0: AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference Communications team is Mike Jordan Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, Connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.